Okay, Pasa Mufasa, welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Today on the pod, we have got a legend of the Myco game. None other than Permaculture Poppy, a.k.a. Myco Simbi, a.k.a. William Padilla Brown. I know that some of the tools that I'm working with and some of the things that I'm studying is not even for me. Distinguished citizen scientist, author, and mycopreneur. This dude's a game changer, but you already knew that. And today, we're gonna talk about Will's work with DNA barcoding of fungi and the equipment setup that he uses to catalog and contribute his finds to databases. We're talking the synergistic relationship potential between algae and fungi, phycology and mycology. We're talking about equity and access to fungi education. And in fact, we are popping into uncharted territory with a little dialogue about Will's forays into the world of marine fungi. I'll tell you what, this dude's on another level. He is the archetypal embodiment of everything a mycopreneur can be. And it's an absolute privilege to host him today. Do not underestimate the power of the myco simbi. I used to teach high school multimedia production at a world-renowned Title I charter school in San Diego, which by definition, a Title I school means that the majority of the students come from low-income demographics, from communities of color and historically marginalized populations. And I wish that I had known Will then, because I firmly believe that the pop culture machine, the environmental apathy, and the clickbait and trolling, the attention deficit democracy, and the institutionalized racism baked into our world order today are only thriving right now because science and education lack the swag factor that they deserve. They lack the sexiness they deserve when represented to young, inquiring minds. But that's all starting to change thanks to Permaculture Poppy and those like him at the vanguard of citizen science and the mushroom revolution. So let's get down to business. Que pasa, Mufasa, William Padilla Brown, AKA Permaculture Poppy. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. How's it going today? It's, uh, it's going great. You know, I'm in the mix of my own things. I'm in the mix of my own madness and happy to be in it. <laughs> I know that feeling very well, my friend. Well, I've been super inspired by your work as many people have and recently with DNA barcoding and fungal microscopy that you've been sharing. So let's start with that. How did you get into sequencing mushroom genomes and bioinformatics? What kind of equipment are you using? And what's the end goal of the process for you? Um, all right. So back in, I want to say 2017 was the first time. No, no, no. Um, it was 2016 was the first time that I ever went to Telluride Mushroom Festival to teach. And um, when I went there, I met Alan Rockefeller and he was there and he was talking about DNA sequencing. And back then it was only like, he was the only one back then that I even saw talking anything about DNA sequencing for mushroom stuff. And then there was like a little bit of the um, Michael Flora project stuff. And um, it was a little bit confusing because I didn't know anything about molecular biology. So when people were saying DNA sequencing, I thought it was like sequencing the whole, uh, like getting the actual like code of the DNA. But a lot of what um, 
a lot, what, what Alan was doing and what I, what I had seen people do was um, DNA extraction and amplification, and then they would send off stuff for sequencing. But it was so far beyond me that I, it didn't really pique my interest as much then, and I didn't really understand it because I had no formal background in any of that kind of linguistic structure or anything. So it was just really exciting to me, and I was asking Alan why he was interested in it because it was something that was new, you know, and I was still so young, um, and I'm still young. But um, he said he was really, got really interested in it because nobody was doing it. Um, and he was able to discover so many new mushrooms and all these kinds of things. And as, as somebody that was trying to like, you know, make my mark in the industry, make my mark in the world, I, I thought um, working with tools that were so new um, would, would give me an advantage in figuring out something or, or being at the cutting edge of something. Um, so I wanted to be involved with that work because Alan was really the only one doing it. And I know that there was like so many people that wanted to learn. So I figured there'd, it'd be good for there to be more educators. Um, and studying it, um, I, you know, I watched a lot of YouTube videos and, um, you know, read a bunch on uh, blogs and stuff like that. And actually, you know, just messaged Alan a, a bunch back and forth on, on uh, Facebook Messenger. He's actually a really good friend of mine. And uh, he was always there to answer any questions I had. And, uh, you know, after a while, I saved up and crowdfunded a little bit and was able to get a mini PCR um, and start doing some PCR extractions myself or PCR are doing some DNA extractions and amplifications myself just to get an understanding of it. So like along the way, a lot of people were like, why are you doing this? What are you trying to do? And I could show the practical application of, you know, like identifying an unknown mushroom uh, through DNA extraction amplification and sending it off to some big company. Um, but I always knew, I, like, I felt like there was something more to the work and I wanted to get a better understanding of molecular biology because I felt a lot of times left out and not being able to go to college. Um, and there was a lot of things that I wanted to be able to be engaged with, but I didn't have the understanding to be able to be engaged with them. So I was practicing all these different things with um, molecular biology to get an understanding of what molecular biology is, um, what the tools are, how the practice works and all of that. Um, so like sometimes I would just be doing stuff just to do it, just so I could you know, mechanically touch it with my hands and like, oh, I'm actually getting DNA into this solution or, oh, I'm actually binding DNA to this magnetic bead or like whatever. Because for me, you know, I can learn so much on the internet and I'm really good at being an autodidact. But for me, like actually putting the things into practice is how I learn best. So, to, so I don't ramble on too much. Um, I started out with a mini PCR. Um, it was affordable, small PCR. You can get used PCR machines from um, different websites, college auctions. The Odin is a great uh, supplier of used PCR machines. Uh, PCR is a polymerase chain reaction machine. We utilize this to um, amplify uh, extracted DNA. So we extract a little bit of DNA from a cell of a mushroom. We use this machine and it makes copies of our DNA so that we have a fair amount of material to work with because DNA is so small, we need a, a decent amount of it to actually do some work with. So what I'm excited about with my DNA work um, is working with the nanopore technologies. Um, so that is a whole podcast in its own, um, but there is a company called Oxford Nanopore that is developing these um, nanopore uh, flow cells um, with their min-ion, uh, which would be the like user-friendly or small-scale piece of uh, equipment that they have for doing their DNA sequencing. But you can do real-time, at home, um, at a mushroom foray, in the field, um, DNA sequencing. And I think this is really important and really powerful. And whenever I first, um, whenever I first saw it, it was uh, presented to me on YouTube um, through Next Generation Scientist. Um, he's another social scientist 
or like a, a scientist on social media. Um, and he was in Ecuador, I believe, sequencing um, um, reptiles that were at risk of extinction. And I think that's a really powerful work to be able to have the barcodes of species that might go extinct or the sequences of their DNA. And when I saw it, I was like, wow, doing this in the field is, is so powerful to be able to capture these DNA sequences, right? Maybe potentially before they go extinct. Um, but I also was thinking like this DNA, this DNA technology seems like it's so new that we don't even know all of the applications of it. And I started formulating in my own mind because as I started presenting this to my friends and colleagues, they were like, oh, we don't know how accurate this is. It's so expensive. Um, and I started to put myself into those places that, that, that I felt like the, that uh, I needed to be. So I started to go to the conferences that they were putting on. Um, I went to the New York Genomic Center and took a class that they had. And I realized really quickly that if I could use this technology effectively and amplify it with one of their barcoding kits, that I could reduce them the price of, of doing barcoding for identification, which would, and, and by going to those conferences, it, they had already, all the scientists already proved to me that this technology was effective, just as effective as any other DNA sequencing technology that already exists. So I could blow, blow that out of the water than anybody saying that this wasn't accurate or something. Um, and, then I, and then I figured out that I could lower the price by using one of their kits. And then just in April, and I only found this out last week, but just in April, um, a, a group of scientists released a, a research paper that said that they can lower the price down to 10 cents per sequence, which is the cheapest by far for getting reads. Um, and then you can get them in the field. So I'm super excited to be able to use this nanopore technology and teach people this summer. I'll be teaching people how to use nanopore technology real time at MycoFest and at the Telluride Mushroom Festival. We'll be doing uh, attempting to sequence every mushroom that we find on a foray by the end of the foray, have all the sequences. Dude, that's so dope, man. So inspiring. And it's that whole citizen science element, which gets me really excited, man. I used to be a high school teacher and I felt there were so many limitations to what we were able to do in the lab and with the funding and with this and that and being able to, to see your work and, and not just the work you're doing in the field, but like who you represent, like changing and flipping the script on what a scientist can look like, where they can come from. It's not all just PhDs and old white guys in the lab. And that's something that I think so many people are really inspired by. And uh, so again, we're it's a privilege to have you on the podcast right now. So, and also shout out to Alan Rockefeller, former guest of the podcast. I love that dude, love his work, kind of in the same boat. He has no formal mycology education, no university diploma, and he's out here publishing peer-reviewed papers and speaking at conferences and all that. Super badass. So you've built this awesome lifestyle and business out of your devotion to fungi and your symbiosis with fungi with no formal education or diploma, as far as I understand. And I don't suppose you just magically inherited this epic position. I've seen you say that you're a graduate of YouTube University and you just mentioned autodidact, which I love that. I think that's the, the learning style of the future of the present too. Uh, it takes a lot of grinding and a lot of discipline and experimentation. So I'm curious, what was your first mushroom that you ever cultivated? And did it come naturally to you, the cultivation process? Or was it something that you really had to work at to understand? Um, the first mushroom I ever cultivated was a Psilocybe cubensis, and it came pretty naturally. You know, I just like read some stuff on the internet. Um, I was like, I was still a minor at this point. So like, it was like, you know, I just looked up some stuff on the internet. I didn't even have means to buy books or anything like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I ordered everything. And, and, and granted, like, like not to like put my parents on blast or like be create like nothing like that or like, and not to encourage anybody to do anything illegal. 
but I was living on my own when I was a minor. I had my own place. Like I, I was renting an apartment when I was 17 years old. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I started cultivating Salasabi Cubensis. It came very easily to me. Um, and in consuming it, um, and working through like, you know, ancestral work recognized very quickly that this, that this was not unfamiliar to my genetics, that this was actually very, very familiar to my genetics. Um, and, and understanding that my ancestors had quite an uh, intimate relationship with these substances. Um, so yeah, it all came very naturally and all fluid to me and, you know, helped me to remember and bring my consciousness into the present moment after I had been so perverted and distracted by, you know, modern culture. Um, yeah, so, um, and, and consuming those mushrooms really, you know, kicked it off for me um, in the sense of uh, wanting to grow other things. Because after I ate the mushrooms, I was tripping so hard and the, the psychedelic experience was pushing me to um, desire understanding of, of what I was consuming. I wanted to be close to the source of what I was consuming. I wanted to understand where was the source. I wanted to know where was the source of what I was consuming. I was like, how many hands have touched this food? How many ships has this food been on? How many trucks has this food been on? Like, like was this food grown with chemicals? Was this food sprayed with something? What's on it? What's in it? What's it made of? I want to know what I'm made of. I have no idea what I'm made of. I'm made of who knows what that's been imported from XYZ parts of the globe, maybe slave labor in there, maybe a little bit of blood from somebody in there, sweat, tears. Like who knows all of the circumstances that goes into the, the bite of food that I'm putting in my mouth or the clothes that I'm putting on my body. Um, so and tripping out that hard at that age uh, made me want to know where was everything coming from. So I started to grow other food um, because um, I, I started also in, in caring about my food, recognize the value of nutrition and realizing that the most nutritious foods were super, super expensive. Um, where I was, there was like not even any organic aisles in the grocery stores back then, whenever I tripped out um, where I lived in Pennsylvania. Um, you were lucky if there was like a couple pieces of organic produce in the, in, the, in the produce section of the grocery store, which was the smallest section of the grocery store. So I started doing that. And then in doing that, a lot of people, the, the community of people growing food around here is very small. So I connected with them and realized nobody knew anything about growing mushrooms. And all of them were composting and working with wood chip mulch and stuff. And there's mushrooms growing everywhere and none of them knew anything about them. And I was like, what are you, what are you guys talking about? Permaculture, whole systems design, and you're missing a whole part of the system. Everybody's making these systems and it's producing mushrooms and nobody knows what's, what's this part of the system. So um, I recognized the trends and the patterns that were starting to happen. And I recognized just in, just in being through high school, like because of my levels of freedom in comparison to other people, I was usually ahead of trends. And I would watch people catch trends afterwards. And I realized because of my level of freedom at a young age, because I wasn't in college or working crazy jobs and things like that, and my level of mental freedom, because I was so high on, on weed and, and, and psychedelics, that I was ahead of these trends. And I was like, all right, give it a couple of years. People are going to be interested in permaculture and mushrooms and all this kind of stuff. So if I figure out how to teach people about it before they're interested in it, then I'll put myself in a really good position. So I, that's when I started Mycosymbiotics. I started my mushroom festival then um, in 2015. And um, then I started growing gourmet mushrooms because I already knew how to grow psilocybe. And it was really easy to grow other mushrooms after I knew like, you know, mushrooms are mycelium. They like to eat things that are dead. Like it was all just patterns after that. 
Word. So, you know, talking about where you're coming from and being able to identify those trends earlier. Also, I want to give a shout out to Darren Springer. He's someone we recently had on the pod. And I saw you guys doing a bit of work together, doing a, a live stream as far as tapping into ancestral work and genetics and all that. It's really beautiful territory. And I think lots of people are starting to wake up to it. But I, I also want to let you know that I really fuck with your music that you're putting out. I think it's so cool to see this merging of all of the different pursuits that you're involved with between the citizen science and talking about spirituality infusing that with pop culture and in doing some research i saw that you you've had some quotes where you said like pop culture doesn't really promote science and the natural world in academia and i've actually had that conversation with a few different musicians we've been lucky enough to have on the podcast and that a lot of pop culture just promotes this sort of mindless consumption I just wonder, is that something that you foresee on the horizon for MycoFest, or is it something you're already doing where you're bringing in musicians and you're kind of fusing this um, education and celebration of the natural world and of permaculture, et cetera, and promoting that to people of lower socioeconomic status and people from the hood who are not typically getting access to this closed loop systems and to the healthy food and to understanding how to farm. Is that something that you, you've already done at MycoFest or something you might do is to continue to pop you know harness pop culture to promote and educate um all right well it, like initially it was just part of of the of the expression like it was on it was unintentionally part of the expression um it was just what i was doing um and then i recognized the power in it and and initially with starting michael fest michael fest the whole goal of michael fest was to be appealing to me like I wanted what wasn't for me that in this world. And I love pop culture. It's cool, but like, it sucks. Like it, it could be so much better than it is. Um, and I, I was, when I started MycoFest, I made it affordable for people like me that was close to cities, easily for public transportation. And then I put art and music in it. It was always like, it started out Mycosymbiotics Mushroom and Arts Festival. It's just so, it's such a big name. So it's like MycoFest now, but like it was, mushroom and arts so we had live arts always we always had rap music we always had like live bands and stuff like that local artists um to try and encourage a diversity of people to come like we always had we've had people every single year come because the music acts are always so good that came just for the music acts and then stayed because the mushroom shit is so cool so like that's kind of the vibe that we're going for um with it um to encourage like you know them and recognize that they're that the humans are multidimensional and not one-sided, you know, um, and, and, and blend and create culture. Like, you know, that's what MycoFest, MycoFest is, is culture creation. Like that is where people go where and, and discover new ways to, and things to bring back to their areas and, into, and implement into culture. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so beyond, beyond MycoFest and through the work, it's um, important I mean, we live in consumer culture right now. So, I mean, pop culture is definitely imp uh, implementing in, in a tool of consumer culture. Um, so I think it's just important to recognize these things as a tool. Um, I think a lot of people, as they're waking up to themselves and waking up to reality are like, oh, so afraid of, of popular culture because they've let it consume them. Um, I, and I can only speak of this from my own perspective. I like popular control culture consume me in my teenage years and and once again in my young in my in my early 20s um and uh you know it's intoxicating it's one of the, the most intoxicating drugs and it's completely designed to uh 
to capture humans and, and, and make you pay for the rest of your life for things that you don't need. Um, and I'd rather just flip the script to things that we do need in a decentralized uh, way and make it super sexy and super swaggy and all that, you know, because there's a Fuck way yeah. to do it. There's a whole recipe, you know. And you're absolutely doing that. I mean, the whole idea of like these closed loop circular economies are so huge. And I think that's uh, mushrooms for me are very much a form of decentralized currency. And I've even kind of come up recently with this philosophy of like, you can't eat cryptocurrency, you know, you can eat mushrooms, you can empower people, you can, and I've seen what you're doing with the micro composites. I've been following a lot of people working with like Rishi leather, starting to do materials, science and design out of mushrooms. And it's tremendously inspiring because you're able to locally grow and produce most of what you need for a, a healthy and fulfilling life at a community systems level. And I just, I hope that more people can tap into what you're doing. You know, I used to, I mentioned, I used to teach in a high school that had a lot of lower socioeconomic students from around San Diego and from the Tijuana, San Diego border area. And so many of them, you know, academia was not their thing because they never got to have teachers that look like them. They never got to learn about people in the history books that were important to their culture. And now with YouTube University and Permaculture Poppy and all these social scientists on Instagram or, or social media scientists, people are able to tap into this. So I think that's an awakening that's, you know, it's bound to happen. More people tapping into this and saying like, I don't need to go the formal traditional route. And I think mushrooms are playing a huge part of that. They certainly have in my own life. I resonate with a lot of what you're saying right now. And speaking of all that yesterday, so I'm from California, the Senate passed this bill SB 519 to decriminalize psychedelics and everyone's been posting about it. So this whole war on drugs in the US and the penal system are such huge burdens specifically on communities of color. And it's devastating to me that there are people still locked up on felony for felony charges for nonviolent offenses like possession, while in other states like Colorado and Washington, there's people making millions of dollars for legally selling cannabis. So moving forward with the whole SB 519 and decriminalization, do you ever foresee psychedelics and psilocybin mushrooms becoming fully legal and regulated? Or do you think the decriminalization movement is a good movement and that we should be supporting that and focusing on that over legalization? Um, I see psychedelic mushrooms being legal, like maybe when I'm like, it depends because I, I feel as though I'm entering a singularity. I feel as though reality is entering into this singularity where time is just like nonlinear and people are going to start really recognizing that time is nonlinear. Um, so I can't really say like time after the next five years starts to get a little wonky as far as like being able to predict like when things will happen. But um, I probably say by the time I'm like in my like, let's say, let's see, my kid will be 20 when I'm 40. And I'd say by the time that he's maybe 30, so I will be like 50. So by the time I'm 50 and like by the time that he's old enough to have a kid that's like 10 or something, um, because it's going to take one more generation of it. It takes a generation of mindset changes for shit like that. Um because it's going to take a generation of kids that grow up and seeing their parents consume it. And then it's going to take a, a generation of kids that try it and have seen everybody else try it. And then those kids are going to be in the political chairs saying like, Oh, I've seen my parents use psilocybin mushrooms my whole life. And my friends have been using psilocybin mushrooms my whole life. You're an idiot. If you think that people are going to hurt themselves off of psilocybin mushrooms, I have personal experience with it. And I'm the politician now, just like there's politicians out there right now for the first time that are like, 
oh, I've seen my dad use weed my whole life or and my friends use weed my whole life. We're entering into the first time where it's like that generational shift where there's experiential uh, uh, awareness. And it takes so long because in the United States, we have a bunch of fucking crusty old retired people that have dementia. Literally, like there has been articles published that doctors have spilled the beans that a lot of politicians are taking medicine for dementia and Alzheimer's that are making bills and shit still like that are passing laws and 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 deciding how 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 we live our lives still and they can't even think or remember shit like that like that's where we're at right now so we really need this like faster um transition of uh politicians couldn't agree more couldn't agree more and i think we are starting to see that and like just the amount of advocacy that's coming out like all these you know i've i've had some of the veterans walk and talk shout out veterans walk and talk on the podcast and like this is a community of military veterans who are advocating for decriminalization just saying like look this stuff helps us like nothing at the va the opiates the binge drinking don't help us but psychedelics and entheogens are helping us and there's so many different communities coming out and you know not this like fringe subculture like back in the 70s you got reefer madness and people saying like oh you smoke weed and oh you're gonna completely lose your mind and you're gonna start raping people and all this it's like complete propaganda and now the people who are kind of have their hands on the political machinery shout out uh scott wiener senator senator scott wiener they, they have some experience with this stuff and they're openly advocating for it which is super exciting um okay so i fully embrace what you're saying about like the generational shift that makes a lot of sense to me so let's shift gears a little bit another recent project of yours i was hoping you could drop some knowledge on is cloning and growing mushrooms from the asian grocery stores which i think is so tight because that's food abundance food equity there which is you know a topic very near and dear to my heart and in san diego we've got a ton of asian grocery stores that's where i first encountered enoki mushrooms and king oyster and a few of these different ones you know growing up in suburban san diego i'd only seen like the lowest bottom of the barrel mushrooms available like white button mushrooms and portobello which nothing against them but like i had no idea about this huge amount of diversity with mushrooms be they psychedelic or culinary or exotic or medicinal so i'm curious if you could walk us through how's that going for you the whole like cloning mushrooms from the asian grocery store which i think you're working with enoki and probably a few other ones what kind of substrate are you using what kind of equipment how's that process looking for you right now um all right well it's going really good and and honestly this is the this isn't the first time i did i've done this the when i first started growing mushrooms um my the first my first culture collection was started from the same asia mall so i just went in there grabbed every mushroom that i wanted to grow um and they had the agar in there um so i just used the agar from in there and coconut water um because whenever i first started growing i was always on youtube and like i couldn't afford all the books and all that kind of stuff at first like people like like when I go to teach, cause I teach at like universities and stuff like that. People really don't know what the struggle is like that like have had the ability and all the luxuries to even exist in those universities. A lot of people don't recognize what that is. Like I legit didn't have the money to afford a non-college book, like a $40 book type, type situation. So like, um, I just looked it up all on YouTube and there were so many like, uh, people from Thailand that had all these like really easy really easy methods of, of cultivating mushrooms and stuff and uh, one of them i'm really familiar with and i communicate with him on uh, facebook a lot his name is uh, uh taywat 
Uh, I watched a lot of his videos, Tewat Tapping K, and he had a, uh, a video where he was doing coconut water agar. And I was like, yo, coconut water is available everywhere. It's so cheap. They always have it at the bargain stores because they just ship so much of it in the United States that there's just a ridiculous abundance of it. Um, so I started buying that for like super cheap, like 99 cents or something. And then the, the telephone brand agar packets. And it took like one packet of agar or one liter of coconut water. So I like, I don't, I'm not really great with math. Like um, from traveling so much when I was younger, that was one of the things that like the curriculums really never matched up. Um, so I've like, haven't really, you know, taken the time to wrap my head around it the way that I should. Um, but uh, I just, it was so easy for me to just put a liter of coconut water in with a packet of agar. I didn't have to think about it. So I just started doing that. And, you know, all the clones come out super, super clean. Um, the, a lot of the Asian mushrooms are cultivated in like robotic factory farms. So there's not many opportunities for like pest contamination before they get wrapped up in a plastic contain, uh, plastic film. Um, so it's like right out of the plastic film into the lab onto the coconut water agar. And like they even sell pressure cookers at the Asian mall. So like back when I started, I had a super cheap pressure cooker, ran it up like that. Um, I used to even put my agar in like little plastic ramekins before I started getting Petri dishes and stuff. Um, and all the cultures come out super clean. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're the Asian culture, the Asian mushrooms are highly like commercialized genetics. They're very bred out specifically to be vigorous and out, uh, uh, hyper competitive and, and uh, produce big fat mushrooms. Yeah, and I've seen those with the uh, King Trumpet, I think they're called. Those those are huge, some of them, right? And uh, I yeah. saw that you lived in Taiwan at one point, right? You were raised kind of all over the world, which is wild. And there's a big mushroom culture out there. I've uh, got a little bit of experience traveling around those regions. So shifting gears again into talking about what university people at colleges have available to them and the luxuries they take for granted. I saw a story about you when you were getting into phycology that you ended up going to the University of Texas at Austin and like literally knocking on doors at the phycology department and people were kind of surprised. They're like, nobody just drops by here unannounced. Um, how did you get into algae studies and phycology? And I, I see you're doing a ton of work with that right now. So I'm curious, like how you got into it and are there opportunities for symbiotic between phycology and mycology? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So um, back in that time when I was like super spun out and, um, you know, figuring it all out, I would be, we didn't, we didn't have cable or Wi-Fi or nothing like that. So I would be watching satellite TV and there's a lot of like commercials and infomercials and shit. And uh, there was this one infomercial for, a, um, it's called a magic bullet. Um, and it's like a little blender. And uh, in it, uh, there was this guy named David Wolf, and he was like super charismatic and talking about like all these like superfoods and stuff like that. Um, so I looked him up on my phone on YouTube, and uh, he had a lot of videos about like for each different superfood, like each mushroom, he had like a whole informational video on it. And he had this video on spirulina and like I was raw vegan at that point in time. And I was like, what? There's this algae that has all this like minerals and nutrients and shit in it. I wanted to grow it. I was like, yo, I can't afford this. It's so expensive. I looked it up. I like tried to find it near me and I was like, yo, it's so expensive. I can't afford this. Um, and I, uh, I looked up like how does algae grow and stuff like that. And I saw farms for it. And there's like a couple little ebooks I could get online for super cheap. Um, I ended up just getting um, 
some of those eBooks online and watching some videos. And then I got a culture for super cheap and started growing it in my basement. And, and, and if anybody wants to like, look at that, they can go on my YouTube channel, Apex Grower. I have videos from like all the way back then when I started my first ones. And like, I started growing it in like recycled glass bottles that I had used for going to collect like spring water and stuff. Um, yeah, so I started learning all that stuff and I recognized really quickly that algae was going to be one of those patterns that's like it's going to take probably still i think probably like another five ten years maybe less i mean the trend with things the way things trend and the way that i know i mean like shit, i'm about to be streaming on all sorts of platforms by the end of the year so uh maybe my influence will change how quickly that happens but um i think at least five years before the algae thing hits but i recognize that potential is going to be insane too um and uh so yeah, so I was like, all right, I want to learn as much as I can about this. So I tried to find all these classes and I found out that the University of Texas uh, or UTEX has this algae lab and it's like a big culture collection. And then there's the Bigelow lab in Maine. Um, and they both were offering classes back then whenever I was like starting to get interested in, in algae. Um, and they were expensive as shit. I couldn't afford either of them. Like I was like, yo, whoa, this is crazy. Um, and I was like, if I can afford them though, and I can make these classes less expensive when, by the time that people come around for, cause at this point I hadn't, I already figured out that I can make money teaching about mushrooms. And I was like, damn, like whenever people figure out about algae, if, if all the classes are this expensive, if I can offer a class that's, that's not that expensive, that'd be a pretty good spot. Yeah. So I tried to get to these classes and I'm really glad that I, that I didn't back then because like I was like trying to crowdfund for it and nobody because it was like still like nobody knew anything about algae they didn't even know why anybody should care about algae everybody's like yo pond scum you know plankton SpongeBob, like algae just has a bad rap you know seaweeds like there's nothing like good about it that anybody recognizes um so I couldn't get it I couldn't get in there back then and I'm glad I didn't get in there back then because I finally got into the algae class more prepared for it from all the scientific knowledge that I had built up to this point. Because when I tried to get into it, it was like five years ago and I didn't have any skills with, um, with microbiology. I didn't have any skills with DNA work. Um, and because of my level of understanding with molecular biology and because of my level of understanding of microbiology, I, I was just so much more ready to take in that information in a way that was, uh, uh, better for me to absorb it and uh, replicate it for other people. Yo, and I've been watching quite a bit of your content. I try to jump on every time you go live if I'm available and you got me interested in it. And I guess that's the whole goal here of this citizen science peer-to-peer -peer element is um, trying to keep the costs low and trying to say, you don't need this like super, super structured, super formal, expensive, prolonged initiation into the world of laboratory science. Like you just need to go hit up MycoFest and Telluride Mushroom Festival and connect with a few people and start watching YouTube videos and it might work out for you. And I think there's just so much latent capacity, specifically with mushrooms, but in the natural world that gen in general, as more and more people start to build a relationship with it and start to say like, what's the source of the products I'm consuming? What's the source of who I am? And, and how can I just walk out in the woods or go out you know, in, in, on a foray and collect these species and start studying them and put them under a microscope and start connecting with people online and, and joining Facebook groups. That's been really fruitful for me is to like join different Facebook groups and start to tap in on Instagram to what people are doing. And then 
just trying to get past that barrier to entry because a lot of it for me doesn't come naturally. Like I, I feel like I'm kind of a citizen diplomat. I'm able to connect with people. I have a facility for being able to network and connect, but like laboratory procedures are kind of alien to me because I don't have that linguistic structure. I don't understand a lot of the terminology, but like I'm very much like you in the sense that being hands-on and just doing it, that's how I learn that tactile learning. So I've got all kinds of experiments going on right now related to mushroom cultivation and trying to really demystify that and, and just go to as many different workshops as I can and connect with different mycological societies online, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like phycology and algae, you're right, it does have a bad rap, but there's so much latent capacity and potential. And on that note, I'm curious if you have done much research with marine fungi, because that's another whole arena that is largely unknown to science. Um, do you have any experience with like cultivating or cloning or studying marine fungi? Is that something you're interested in exploring? All right. Well, you caught me on the edge of something. It's uh, it's definitely something I'm interested in exploring. Well, thank you and congratulations on that one. Um, you, there's not many people that ever ask me something that I've not pre like presented to the world in a, in a big way yet. Um, so that's cool. Yeah, I'm I'm looking into marine fungi right now, um, and I'm also looking into freshwater aquatic fungi. Um, they're super, super interesting. They're very abundant and they're doing lots of interesting things in the water that not many people know anything about. Um, like drilling into rocks and things like that and like, you know, breaking down carbon or like living inside of different fish or like, you know, like they're just as much as they're in, involved in symbiotic relationships on land, they're involved with symbiotic relationships in the water. And we have to understand that they've been involved with symbiotic relationships in the water for way longer than they've been involved with relationships on land. Um, so there's a lot, a lot to learn. Um, and where, where my interests lie right now is um, in studying uh, eDNA and then doing some other environmental uh, DNA work. So um, eDNA, with aquatic eDNA, I want to start doing in the Susquehanna River um and tributaries and then a couple like like lakes and things like that around here is um to sequence the free floating dna in the water that's out of out of cells so it helps us to find cryptic organisms that are hard to get out of out of their environment like and same with soil i really want to do so, uh, soil edna there's so much i want to do but i think it's important to stay focused on what i'm passionate about because i because I know how to do a lot of things and I know that there's not people looking at certain things, I, I get oftentimes excited and want to do a lot more. Um, but that's why I try to get more people around me and have more people playing with my tools um, so we can share the fun and more people can do the stuff that I can't do. Um, and uh, But so yeah, I want to focus on the aquatic eDNA right now to find cryptic species that are hard to get out of culture. So one thing I'll state just before I keep continue on that is that as, as long as we've been studying soil biology, as long as we've been studying aquatic biology, um, a, lot of, a lot of microbiologists have taken soil samples or water samples and then tried to culture them to see what's living in them. There's certain things in the soil, certain things in the water that will never take to culture in a lab, will never take to culture outside of the environment because they only will exist in the environment that they exist in as soon as you take them out they're done and that's just the way it is so we might never be able to study them unless we're able to study the dna in situ real time so it's like we could take these soil samples we could take these water samples and read the dna of everything that's in there in real time like thousands tens of thousands of barcode samples um in one read or, or ten thousand barcode samples in one read so it's like 
Um, a lot of information to be learned there. And I think we'll find about a lot of fungi that's going to be hard to find in um, maybe, you know, start doing some bioinformatics, studying their DNA to see what kind of relationships they have, what's going on. Um, but, you know, right now, right now, I'm at this point where a lot of people are asking me what I'm doing. And I have, like, well, one, I'm not trying to tell everybody all my all my sauce because, the, like, you know, I've, businesses get made off my sauce. Um, and uh, two, I don't know. Like, I, all I know is that all I know is that I'm following my intuition and that's got me where I am right now. So I know that it's powerful. And I know that my intuition is, has a, a broader range understanding of things because my consciousness is tied to my physical body, which is, is locked into temporal space time right now until I figure out how to free it. Um, you know, I've been studying the biocomputer keys to our consciousness time zone, and I've been get, gaining a lot of insight from that. But um, until I can free my consciousness from being locked to this physical body, which is locked in this space and time, I have to depend on my intuition, which is more uh, temporally free or more chronologically free um, and can understand the end outputs of my current actions better than I can right now because I'm still trapped in understanding what's happening in front of me in linear time right now. Um, so I, I, I can kind of see it. Like, I know, I know that some of the tools that I'm working with and some of the things that I'm studying is not even for me. And I've been, I've been able to verbalize that actually over the past couple of days is that a lot of the research that I'm doing and a lot of the things that I'm bringing forward to the table and a lot of the cultures that I'm saving right now. I mean, like I have a cryo tank sitting next to me in my car right now. Like there's a, there's a, a liquid nitrogen doer with liquid nitrogen in it right now for me to store cultures. Like that people might use when I'm dead. Like, like this work is not for me. This work is for generations later. Like I might be discovering things that, that is part of a scientific research project that's done by my great grandkids that, that because I saved this little bit of knowledge or because I figured out this one thing right now, it contributed to something else that needed to be fixed down the line. I'm just doing what I'm interested in and following my passions. And I know that that's the most important thing that I could be doing. That sounds absolutely on point, 100%. And that whole seven generation cycle right there, I think you just nailed it with not, not even knowing sometimes why we're called to do something, just being at service, being of service to that call and to that intuition. And yeah, man, I think the the ripple effect and the wavelength, the waves that you're sending out right now are tremendously inspiring. And uh, I do believe too, you're going to be streaming on all kinds of platforms. I've been seeing you pop up here, there and everywhere. And I just, I, I think more people are going to start answering that call for themselves. And that's what it's going to take for us to free ourselves from this more temporal, physical meat space identity that, you know, we might be on the precipice of moving beyond this thing. Um, who knows when, but I think that a lot of this work that's being done is going to feed into that. So before we let you go do all the critical work you're doing today, let us talk about MycoFest for a second. It's something that I'm tremendously interested in being able to drop in on whenever I have the, the opportunity to do it. I, I guess it's live and in person this year after a off year last year, and it's coming up, I think, in August. Can you just tell us a little bit about what people at MycoFest are going to be getting up to, what kind of events and activities that you have planned for this year? All right. So, yes, this will be the sixth annual MycoFest after a year hiatus, and it'll be in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania on August 6th through the 8th, right outside the Michaux State Forest, four minutes from the entrance to Mont Alto State Park and 10 minutes from the entrance to Caledonia State Park. 
where the Eastern Pennsylvania Mushroom uh, Club has hosted forays featuring Gary Linkoff in the past. Um, and so there's lots of really beautiful places to go out and forage. Uh, we'll be featuring, you know, lots of old friends like Olga Sogas and uh, Tuggle Deleuze. We'll have uh, Ryan Gates and uh, Jeff Mangaro out to do some uh, uh, a cordyceps foray. That'll be our second cordyceps foray that we've ever done. Um, you know, there'll be hands-on um, educational mushroom uh, cultivation workshops. Uh, we have Dustin Powers from uh, Future 4200 Good Life Gang coming out to talk about uh, permaculture. Um, I think we're going to have some people from the Patient Pressing Network um, out. So if anybody has a, a Pennsylvania medical marijuana card, they're able to bring medical flour from the dispensary and get it pressed into hash rosin or uh, flour rosin at the festival. And we'll have some other educational stuff about Pennsylvania medical marijuana, maybe some classes and stuff about that. Um, we'll have some individuals from Susquehanna Permaculture in um, to do some permaculture demos and hands-on demonstrations and things like that. We're trying to get some life skill stuff in there, you know, maybe some like small animal butchery, stuff like that, as well as like plant identification, you know, trying to hit the nail on all heads for um, individuals to come in and be able to gain access that's real world uh, knowledge that they can take back um, and implement to better themselves and their family um, community. Um, so MicroFest has really evolved beyond the realm of mushrooms. You know, we try and keep it mushroom oriented, um, but we also try and read the environment, um, both uh, temporally, spatially, you know, the, the economic climate, the social climate, and provide um, knowledge, uh, workshops, classes, presentations, um, uh, and community uh, uh, conversations and dialogues around things that are necessary for the space and time and not just what's trendy. Um, you know, people have gone through we're in our second year of some people having to change their whole lives and people have to change their whole career and their whole business. And like, you know, we're still living in a world that the trade routes are not fully established again and lumber prices are super high. So like, instead of just presenting what we think is like, Oh, hot lion's mane mushrooms and reishi and tinctures and da, 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 da. Like, how about we present the real world knowledge that's effective for right now in this time frame instead of just what's about making money. I'm here for real humans. And that's what MycoFest is all about is real humans being human and having fun playing music, you know, making love, doing all those things and gathering all around to celebrate mushrooms because they got us here. Well, that's an amazing pitch right there. And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing for the citizen science community, the myco community, the budding FICO community. And I really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to connect with us and to join us on the Mycopreneur podcast today. Thanks so much, William, man. It's been a real pleasure. By the time this comes out, there'll be a new uh, Munchies TV sh uh, Munchies show on Vice. And we're the first episode. So I hope everybody enjoys that one. Holy cow. Can you speak just real quickly on that? Like when's the, when's that airing? June 10th. June 10th. All right, man. Well, congratulations on all your, you know, hard earned success. And uh, I, I wish you the best in your continued pursuits and your studies and all that. And thanks again, man. I really appreciate this. Yeah. Much love. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, brother. Take care. See you around. Bye-bye. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the Mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at Mycopreneur Podcast, that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running, Twitter, Mycopreneur, got the YouTubes dialed in, Mycopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a micropreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, 
Willkommen. Bienvenidos. Welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Micopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.